Galatians chapter 2, we left off a couple of weeks ago. We're looking at, at how Luke in the Acts of the Apostles, he basically did a side-by-side comparison of the Apostle Paul and Peter. You really don't see it when you go through because you got the first half about Peter and the last half about Paul. But when you go back and you look at the side-by-sides, he basically mirror images what, how God used the two of them. But we've made it to verse number 9 where Paul says that when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go into the heathen that, and that they should go into the circumcision. I know they were proud of that because they didn't really want to go um, out to the Gentile world anyway. It says, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Paul always takes the poor into account. There's never a time in all of Paul's ministry that he's not working to help the poor. And the majority of the time, he's working towards helping the poor back at Jerusalem. Uh, he, they brought a large sum of money when they came. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we talked about it. I think it was in the book of Acts. I remember us talking about or studying about how things were different then than they are now. In, in this day, larger churches try to raise money or take some money and set aside money to help missionaries, to help smaller churches, to, to help those, those others that are struggling. But in Paul's day, it was different. He went to all these smaller Gentile churches, and every one he took up collections to carry back to the mother church at Jerusalem. So it kind of worked Opposite from the way that he does today, but he did it to try to help in Jerusalem, especially there with the famine, what he's talking about here, trying to take the poor into account that was suffering. So Paul recognizes there James, Peter, and John as, as pillars of the church. He said they seem to be pillars of the church at Jerusalem. He said they gave us a handshake of agreement, and they, they gladly sent us off to go preach to the Gentile world. And, you know, it's just easy to see when you look at God's word that God always knows what he's doing. If you ever feel like your situation is upside down, sideways, out of control, ain't going in the right direction, I promise you it is. If you're anywhere as close to the will of God, if you're studying, you're reading, you're doing your part, regardless of what's going on in your world, God knows exactly what's going on. And God always has everything pre-planned in advance. We see here how when he's walking on the Sea of Galilee, Dale asked me how far was I going tonight. I said, until I run out of voice. Time or breath? I'm not sure which go first, but it's fading fast. Um, but when Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee and he, and he saw some men fishing, and he called Peter and John from fishers as fishermen, and he called them to be fishers of men, and he called two men that are very different personalities. They're very different people, but yet they were both very teachable men. All of us are very teachable. Some of us are just more hard-headed than others. We're teachable. We just have to go through more things to learn. We, we just have to deal. And that, that's kind of Peter and John. They're both teachable men. Peter is a type A personality. He's a go-getter. Peter's one that from all accounts that you see tends to open his mouth and put things into action before it really takes time to think about it. John, on the other hand, seems to be more of a planner, if you will, a thinker, one that thinks things out. But man, what an awesome pair. So some, two of the first two that, that Jesus called is this great pair that now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, this is the ones that he has led to be the founders of his church, to be the one to, to bring about the church. Now, one thing that we see, and to me it's a change, because Paul mentions James first here, 
when he's talking about pillars of the church. Now, in chapter 1, when he mentioned Peter, he went to see Peter. James is like a forethought. He's a little, he's just like, oh, by the way, I saw James also, but he's out. But now, now when he's talking about pillars, he mentions him, he mentions him first. You know, James, the, the brother of Jesus here, he's a latecomer into the ministry, like the Apostle Paul. He's not one of the first ones. James, the first one, James, the brother of John, he was, he was, he was murdered. He, he was one of the first. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wasn't. He, he's like Paul. He, he didn't follow Jesus until after the resurrection. And, and, and he comes in. And so, so James becomes the leader of, of the church here at early Jerusalem. I didn't go back. I was around Acts chapter 15 when it made that transfer. If y'all remember, we did Peter, and then it kind of swapped. It was all the Acts of the Apostles swapped to Paul. But about midstream right there is where it changed. Um, so here in our text, Paul lists him as one of the three pillars, but he lists James first. Um, a, a, a bit of, of a change. See, throughout the scriptures, we see James becoming a clear leader of the church at Jerusalem. Certainly, when Paul made that final trip back to Jerusalem before being sent off to Rome, we see that James was there. And part of that was probably... I think James is a strong personality. I think we can justify that in the scriptures as we study. But I think it has a lot to do with Peter's departure. Remember after James, the brother of John, was killed, remember Herod saw that it pleased the people. And because it pleased the people, Peter, index on the chopping block. And Peter was arrested and was going to be killed tomorrow morning. That's the night when the church was praying and the angel came and led him out through and the gate says, Peter walks on out in the street and he goes to where the church is praying and he says, I'm here, I'm here. And they said, yeah, right, you can't be your dead. Yeah, it must be your ghost. Must be your ghost. Can't be Peter. We're so bad about that. We're so bad about that. The Bible says that they were there praying for Peter's dismissal, but what that shows us is they did not believe what they were praying. Hey, I'm, I'm in that. I'm in that. You get people sometime and you hear the reports of the stage four cancer. You hear the reports of the bad. And, and I'm praying God heal them. But in my mind, I'm already taking the cop out. If you're going to heal them by taking them to heaven, Lord, your will be done. When reality, he has the power to heal what I'm praying for. They, they make it clear that they were praying for God's power to get him out of prison and save his life. But they did not believe what they were praying for. Because they could not believe he was standing there. But he finally convinces them that it's him. And he got them there in Acts chapter 12, verse 17. Beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace. He declared unto them how the Lord had brought them out of the prison. And he said, go and show these things unto James and to the brethren. See how he, James is first. So you kind of see that, that pillar mark, that benchmark begin to rise up. And he departed and went to another place. As soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what would become of Peter. And, and when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea in their abode. So we, we can know that the absence of Peter probably played a big part in the rising of James as, as the elder of that church, as the head of that, that church. And plus we see... You know, as I said, James is a, a man of a pretty forceful personality. Galatians here in chapter 2, verse 11 says, When Peter was come to Antioch, I was stood him to the face. Paul says, I stood up to him because he was to be blamed. Before that certain came from James, 
He did eat with the Gentiles. They called, they invited him to the house, they fixed meals. And he went to the Gentiles' house openly and ate meals with them. But when they were come, talking about the Jews from James from Jerusalem, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. See, Paul was willing to give all three of these men credit as pillars in the church, but Paul owes them nothing. Paul, Paul is willing to give them their spot and their, their notoriety, and they may have known Jesus in his earthly life, but they had no authority over Paul. Paul is just as called as anybody there and has a mission and a call on his life. So when Peter comes to Antioch, we can almost know that was a big deal. I mean, it's true. Peter's a hero of the church, right? I mean, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom that day. And you saw hundreds to thousands added, hundreds almost daily as, as Peter preached. P Peter's a star. I, I, think, I think that's a fair way to say that. When he goes to the Gentile church at Antioch, he's a celebrity. Everybody's going to be glad to have him there. It talks about how he did eat with Gentiles. I imagine he had more offers than he could eat to, to go to people's house and eat with the Gentiles' house. He, he would have been, oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I got one sitting there. I, I appreciate that. Sit it right there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it might break loose, make him start coughing. I'm gonna leave. Can y'all hear me? Can y'all understand, Frog? If y'all understand, I'm going to leave well enough alone. Y'all will learn to leave well enough alone. I, I've had coughing spells that I can't stop. I don't want to start one of them, so we'll just leave that alone. But thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I really do. Um, but but we see <laughs> we see that the, the church there at Antioch, this is the first real attempt to evangelize a Jewish, uh, I mean, a Gentile church. But to the Jewish church, they see this as a threat. To, to go out and put in because, you know, they, they always view them as second-class citizens. So then Acts chapter 10, we know that God clearly taught Peter about the Gentiles. Remember the cloth? Arise, kill, eat, not so, Lord, I'll never eat anything unclean. Three times it happened. And God was sending Peter to the Gentiles. We know that Peter did go to Caesarea. We know that, that Peter did go to the house of Cornelius, and he did lead Cornelius and all of his household to the Lord. But, but obviously, he didn't hold on to the fullness of that lesson. Um, Peter's doing fine here until James sends some men from Jerusalem, and then he changes how he's acting. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul says, I'm not having that. I'm, I'm not having this two-faced. And, and it says, I, I withstood him because he was to be blamed. Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, so the Jews come, and now he's not. He, he's treating them like second-class citizens. He's acting completely different. See, so what Paul saw was compromise. That's what people can't see in the child of God. We can't compromise. Right is always right. Wrong is always wrong. There can't be compromise. There, there, there can't be political correctness. There can't be meat in the middle if meat in the middle requires being outside the perfect will of God. And that's what Paul says. You're, you're, doing, you're doing two things. You're, you're being two-faced. An apostle or not, that's going to be stopped. Apostle or not, Christian or not, head of a church or not, preacher or teacher or not, working in children's ministries or not, deacon in the church or not, that can't happen. He, say, he says, I'm, I'm going to meet them. And, and, and see, see, that's why what we do and how we live is so important. People hear what we say, but they see what we do so much more than they hear. 
They see how, if you're saying one thing, doing something else, they know that. They, they're going to do what you do. I talked about Nathan and what a great example he has in Dale, and he truly does. But Robin was talking about today, she kept Lanier, her grandbaby, and she saw something. And, and my wife is clean to the, to the, I mean, nobody believes anybody lives in our house. That's just reality. It's, it's never dirty. She calls it filthy, and I, I search for specks of dust. Uh, and that, but so Lanier was there and she saw something and she said, cleans it like y'all does. And Lanier, he's what, a year and four months? About. He goes over, he looks, he goes over and says, You, you think youngins ain't watching? You think your children don't see what you do more than they hear what you say? Do you know your coworkers exactly the same as those children? They, they see that. They, they see when you're in your office and you walk by a piece of trash and leave it laying in a hall somebody else pick up, and they see it when you stop picking it up put it in the trash can because it matters, and you just, hey, it's my place of work. I don't want fish smells laying around here. I want things cleaned up. So, so people, people see what we do. Now, if those that had been sent by James had anything to say about Peter's interaction with the Gentiles, the right thing to do is to stand up and tell them, for Peter to stand up and tell them about the oneness of God. The right thing to do is for Peter to stand up and tell them how God has made us all one through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and we're one, but, but he didn't. He didn't. He acted different because the Jews were in town, and Paul saw it to make it worse. Barnabas is in on it. He, he says in verse 13, the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now, Paul is aggravated with Peter, but I believe his heart's broke with Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas, we've talked about it, wanted to believe in him first, wanted to introduce him to the other apostles. He's his traveling companion. He's his agent in building. He's the one that came and got him. He needed help at the church or Antioch. He's the one that came and got Paul. This is a sold-out man of God. This is a real deal. This ain't a part-timer. This ain't a casual Christianity. Peter isn't either, but this is Barnabas. And Barnabas is bought into it because Peter did. Don't you know that has to, to hurt Paul on the inside? The, the, the word that Paul uses there is, um, I wrote it down, where to put hypocrisies. Hypocrisies. It's where we get our English word hypocrite. Paul says, Peter's being a hypocrite. And if it ain't bad enough, Barnabas has been a hypocrite. He said, this isn't a private matter. I didn't spare the feelings and go in private. Verse number 14, when I saw it, they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew lives after the manner of the Gentiles and, do not, and, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as Jews? See, Peter's compromise is affecting the whole church. So Paul addresses it as a public matter. Whatever Peter's motives are here for his action paul sees it as a threat to the church at least to the gentile church to see the separation to see themselves not welcome under the same blood that, that jesus has shed i truly with all my heart i truly with all my heart and i believe every one of us do things like this and we never meant to with all my heart i don't believe peter meant to be two-faced I, I don't I don't think he meant to change the way he was acting. You went from going to the Gentiles to not, and now you're hanging out with them. 
I don't think this is a deliberate act to shun that group of people because this group of people is present, but it doesn't change the facts that his actions spoke louder than his words. And, and Paul saw it, and other people could see it. So if you see a brother, I'm just saying, if you see a brother walking two fences or walking both sides of the fence, hopping back and forth, be a Paul and go to him and love Hey, brother, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're leading people astray. But, but that, that, that's not to the world. The world is where the world is. That is to brothers in Christ. Paul, Paul is doing Peter a favor right here. Amen. Paul is doing Peter a favor. He's being friend enough to, to show him. And it shows us how important it is that our actions always be consistent with the word of God. If there's ever a time that we act different because someone else is around, that's a hypocrite. If we ever act different because someone else is in our presence, number one, if they don't like you for who you are, they probably ain't going to like you anyway. And, and if you're trying to pretend to be somebody you're not, it's just a matter of time that they ain't going to like who you pretend to be. And, and it's putting on a show. So, so, so Paul it, it addresses it. And then the rest of the chapter, beginning in verse 15, this is like a summary, if you will, of Paul's discussion. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even if we believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul uses the word we in reference to Jewish Christians. He's talking to all the Jewish Christians there. He says the problem is that the law condemns us. Romans chapter 7, verse 6 and 7, Paul said, Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in, in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, it, it had not known, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. All the law can do is condemn. It cannot justify. To be justified is just as if I'd never done it. Justified, never sin. To be justified means that God has no record of any guilt in my life. How awesome is that? Justified, God has no record of any sin, any wrongdoing. Because when he looks at my life through the blood of Jesus, all of my stains are washed out. And, and everything is put in, in perfect white through the blood of Jesus. As Paul said, the, the law can't justify a guilty man, but Jesus can. And Jesus does. The law can't bring us in, into redemption with the Father, but Jesus can. And Jesus does. By the completed work of Jesus, Jew and Gentile stands on equal ground, level at the foot of the cross. And that's what Paul's trying to get the point across right here. <laughs> there, there is no separation and nobody is justified by the law. Verse 17 of our text. If while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. If we build again the things which I destroyed, I'll make myself a transgressor. See, the problem with the Jews is their view of, of the Gentiles. Notice, notice there in verse 15, we who are Jews by nature, not sinners of the Gentile. Paul is condemning the idea that the Gentile is somehow a worse sinner than the Jew. We've talked about it before. When we sin, we're worse than the world because we know better. And that's kind of the picture of the Jew. 
That's worse than the world. They know better. They knew better. He, he says to the Jews, he, he says that, that we too, we too were sinners in need of a Savior. And we completely missed the mark because none of us could keep the law. We, we tried. Nobody tried harder than, Paul, than Saul to keep the law. See, Paul's telling them when, when Jesus revealed that we were sinners, that didn't make us sinners. We were already sinners. It just pointed out our need for a Savior. It pointed out why we needed a, a Redeemer. Paul says in your two-faced, what you're showing, what you're saying, is, is that justification through faith and faith alone isn't enough. That, that you still need some of this law or circumcision. That you still need things added to it. But the law only leads to death. The law could have never brought us to redemptive grounds. It can't justify us. It, it can't save us. And it can't sanctify us. Just glancing back at the law. I got just enough time. We'll do this. Glancing back. Here, here's, here's where the law leads us. This is what the law has for us. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 2. Again, I'll say to the children of Israel, whosoever be the children of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, that give any of his seed unto Malek, he shall surely be put to death. Verse 9, every man that curseth his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 11, the man that lieth with his father's wife hath uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Verse number 22 of Leviticus chapter 20, if a man lie with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. Verse 13, if a man lie with mankind, there's your verse on homosexuality. As he lie with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall both surely be put to death. Verse 15, if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death and you shall slay the beast. I'm trying. Five more minutes. Verse 16, Leviticus chapter 20. If a woman approach any beast and lie down there in two, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. That's the law. And everything the law condemns to death. Exodus chapter 21 verse 12. He that smiteth the man so that he die shall surely be put to death. Verse 15. He that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 16. He that, uh, he that stealeth the man selleth him or be found in his hand he shall surely be put to death. He that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Exodus chapter 35, Numbers chapter 1, Numbers chapter 3, Numbers chapter 13. Put to death is used 57 times in 51 different passages about the law. The law condemns. The law is death. No one tried harder than Saul to keep the law. You, we could not keep the law. God knew that. Jesus knew that. That's why he came and fulfilled the law and offered us grace. Paul understands exactly what grace means. So Paul makes it very clear. We're no longer living under the penalty of law because of grace. That doesn't mean that, that we're not supposed to be living within the law. Verse number 19 in our text, For though I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. If we're living in one with God, then we will keep the commandments. If we're living in oneness, then we will be living in this book. We'll be keeping everything as best we can in accordance with the book. Galatians 2.20, for years, that was my signature. 20 years, maybe, in the cell phones. I'm still not an iPhone fan at all. It's not user-friendly. I got a lot of issues with it. Two things I don't like about it. it used to, when you called me 
And as soon as you got on my end, Chris Tomlin saying how great is our God to you. Now you hear a stupid phone ringing, thanks to iPhone, because they don't support that. And when I sent you a text, anybody, anytime, anywhere, no matter what, it was signed Galatians 2.20. Do you know how many people I text that don't go to church? And they would look that verse up just to respond back. But iPhone don't support that either, so I don't have it anymore. But it's a very powerful verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So I'm, I'm a little past eight. That's a really good place to leave off. That's a really good place to live. Y'all didn't hear that last part, did you? That's a really good place to live. That's what we're to do, die daily, take up our cross and follow him. Lord willing, we will pick up here in Galatians chapter 2 next year. We won't be doing services next Wednesday night. And a lot of, a lot of things are going to happen between now and then. We've got Christmas coming, New Year's coming. So that first Wednesday night, we will have services back. Lord willing, we'll pick up here. I know it's Christmas Eve. I know a lot of you guys are traveling Encourage those around if you got visitors or anything to come. Here, here we're, we're going to have to change some things going forward. There's some stuff got to change. But I made this statement this, this week, and it's absolute truth. What we experienced Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's up to us. It's up to us. You, you, you know what they did? They didn't worry about if the bills were paid. They didn't worry about if the gifts were wrapped. They didn't worry about who they hadn't bought for. They, they, they didn't worry about what their neighbor might have said. They didn't worry about the car needing to be fixed. They, they, did, they didn't worry about anything. Do I think they were all old enough to understand, hey, I'm worshiping God? Absolutely, I do not. I don't. I think they're children. I think they were doing what they were taught to do, and I think it's the most important thing we'll ever do. And I think they were worshiping as best as they know how. But here's the reality. What the best they know how was pure. It had no strings attached. And because of what they did, heaven invaded this place. That's just reality. And the only thing that keeps that from happening every single Sunday is right here. It's us. You bring that kind of purity in. And here's the statement I made. If we had that presence... Every Sunday of 2024, you'll be looking for a place to sit come December of 2024. Your seat's going to be taken. Visitors are going to be here. Lost people will have been saved and this building will be full. You can't have that kind of presence and not change the lives of people, including mine, especially mine. I don't know what it did for you. I know what it did for me. The message was awesome. When they started singing, I stood by there squalling. And they had that last song. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. If heaven hadn't already got down, it did then. I walked down here to tell him, y'all, sing out again. I walked over to Paul, who was supposed to come up and close. I said, brother, we need to sing out again. I didn't go up there. He said, no, absolutely. We need to sing it again. I said, you got it. Go get it. And he did an amazing job even bringing up scriptures and text. But it's up to us to, to live like that out there and bring that kind of purity. But I'll just tell you straight up, I, 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 I want that. I'm not by myself, am I? want that 
I want that every time I come. In, in my example I was talking about, and I know, I know they won't, they won't let your children run away. I promise they'll be looking. I was talking about that I think it might have been Joe Arthur that told the story about the couple in the car. The preacher saw them pulling in the parking lot, just at each other's throat, and they got out of the car. Well, hey, everybody, and just come in and greeted at the door. And he said, I just happened to be in the parking lot when I got back in the car. And they got in the car, and man, I mean, they put it right where they left off. Right out of the parking lot. They went, y'all remember that story? Y'all hear it? Isn't the van somewhere told the story? I said, you know what Sunday did? It's what church ought to do. They came in here, because the world was all over them, and they walked out here. They hugged in that parking lot and said, I'm sorry, before they got in the car. That changes people. And that's what we need to experience when we come here. And it's all up to us to whether or not it does. Well, thank you, Father. God, I pray you'd help us to live Galatians 2.20, crucified with Christ. I pray you'd help us to carry our cross. I pray you'd help us to live pleasing to you. I pray, God, that everything we do, God, it would be pleasing. I pray, God, we do something to make you smile. Everybody wants to make their daddy happy. We just want to make our father happy. We just want to know that we've done something to make our father smile. As every individual, as every family, and as a church, Faith Baptist Church. That's our goal, God. And I don't know of any other way to make you smile better and to make all of heaven rejoice bigger than to lead one sinner to repentance. I pray you'd make us that church. I pray you'd use us a mighty tool to reach the lost and add to the kingdom. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said...